Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. MTSU's inaugural Positive Aging Conference is scheduled for June 10th at the Miller Education Center with a keynote address by Dr. Julie Sweetland of Frameworks Institute. With us is one of the organizers of the gathering, Dr. Deborah Lee, director of the MTSU Positive Aging Consortium and holder of the National Healthcare Corporation Chair of Excellence in Nursing. We'll talk about the conference and changing attitudes and perspectives on aging in our society after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. Spots remain available for this summer's Civil Air Patrol National Cadet Engineering Technology Academy, or ETEC, set for June 26th through July 2nd on the campus of MTSU. Participants must be Civil Air Patrol cadets at least 15 years old and have completed a week-long encampment activity before being eligible. The $395 cost for the week-long event includes housing and dining on campus, plus other activities. Cadets will attend classes taught by university faculty members from aerospace, engineering technology, physics and astronomy, data science, and mechatronics. The Academy also features leadership activities from MTSU's Army ROTC program, as well as a seminar led by retired Army Lieutenant General Keith Huber, the university's senior advisor for veterans and leadership initiatives. This year is set to be the fourth time MTSU has hosted the Academy. And the Free Speech Center at MTSU is again the recipient of a donation from Internet entrepreneur Craig Newmark and his foundation. Craig Newmark Philanthropies has contributed $25,000 to the center, which works to educate the public about the five freedoms guaranteed by the First Amendment. The Newmark organization previously invested in the center with a $25,000 gift in October of 2020. Newmark, who began his career in the 1970s as a computer programmer, began what would become Craigslist in 1995 as an email distribution list to his friends, alerting them to events in the San Francisco Bay Area, where he still lives. He established Craigslist as a web-based service the next year. Craigslist now covers 70 countries worldwide and receives over 20 billion page views each month. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Debbie, welcome. Thank you for being with us again. It's a pleasure to be with you, Jenna. Who is your target audience for this conference? Our target audience is anybody who is interested in the prospect of aging in a more positive way. And so typically, you know, we are really reaching out to older adults in Middle Tennessee who want more of that information. Certainly our MTSU community, uh, folks who are out in the community who might be providing service to older, uh, older adults. And those are just uh, community members who might just have an interest in learning more for their own edification. Caregivers as well uh, would also be another audience that we'd like to reach. So it's pretty broad. Will it be streamed or is it totally in person? Well, it's interestingly, it is all in person. However, we are having it professionally recorded by MTSU Media. And so there will be video available and we will have that for, of each of the individual sessions. And we'll have that posted on our MTSU Positive Aging Consortium website once all of the editing is done and it's ready for prime time. Tell us uh, a few of the things that are on the agenda for the conference. 
well, we have the, the committee has worked really hard to make it uh, interesting for people with a variety of interests. So our keynote speaker you mentioned, Dr. Julie Sweetland, she's going to be talking about how mindsets on aging are changing. So we're really uh, not thinking of aging as this period of life where it's a decline and um, it's either you're out cruising, uh, you know, uh, the Mediterranean, or you're living in, in decreased health and things are not good. It's really the reality is most people live in between. And, and we also want people to know that there is a way to think about aging as a, a place of new opportunities and accelerations in some areas. So that's how we're starting. And then we have some breakout sessions in the morning and in the afternoon. Some of the morning ones are repeating in the afternoon. So uh, in the morning, we have Dr. Jim Houston from our uh, MTSU psychology department talking about maintaining healthy brain function as we age. And he's partnering with Laura Grissom from our St. Clair Street Senior Center to present that topic. And then we have two of our exercise science uh, faculty members, Dr. Brandon Grubbs and Dr. Von Berry, talking about how to reach your physical peak uh, as you age. And then the third presentation we have available is uh, in the morning is Dr. Keith Gamble from our finance and economics department in our School of Business. And he's going to be talking about financial decision making as we age, as well as being alert for scamming. And he also has a community partner who's going to be talking uh, in that presentation as well from Agewell, Middle Tennessee. In the afternoon, um, our exercise and our financial planning, or excuse me, our financial uh, decision-making presentations will be repeated for people who didn't get to go in those in the morning. And the one that's going to be different is Dr. Liz Smith from our Food and Nutrition Science Program. And she's going to be talking about using a uh, uh, tower growth, how to grow vegetables using a tower and then how to prepare healthy meals using those vegetables. And she's gonna be also uh, pairing with Laura Grissom from our St. Clair Street Senior Center. So those are the topics that we have. I saw a website on a radically reframing aging conference that was held online in late February and early March and hosted by Maria Shriver. And it included both celebrity guests and top-notch scientists. The prevailing theme of which seemed to be that after being bombarded all our lives with media messages that say we should be ashamed of the natural process of aging, we should embrace it. So are we as a society finally headed for an awareness that being old is not a bad thing to be? I sure hope so. And that really is the impetus of Dr. Sweetland's speech as well, our presentation as well. We are talking about, we tend to think of older adults as them and not us. The one thing we all have in common throughout humanity is we're all aging. Every day we get older. And the reality is that we tend to say those older people, those people over there and not realize it's a collective whole. And we also need to have more awareness about the words we use uh, when we speak about older adults, um, how we write about older adults and how we think about older adults. And you know, ageism is a real thing and it's pretty pervasive in our North American culture. And so, yes, we are starting to challenge those ideas that we've had long held around older adults in our North American culture. So yes, we are gonna be addressing that. And I do um, have hope that we are starting to turn that ship a little bit in our, in our um, state, at least. 
Bill Maher calls ageism the last acceptable prejudice in America, and age discrimination cases are notoriously hard to prove. So if we're living longer than ever and we're more vital than ever as we age, why do ageism and age discrimination still persist? I think it's like everything else that is a long-standing belief and has a stigma, aging has sort of a stigma associated with it. And it's really difficult to change people's perceptions and it takes time to do so. And it takes a collective in order to do so. And I do think is more, uh, as that population of 65 and older grows, which by 2040 in the United States and by 2030, by the way, in middle Tennessee, or excuse me, the state of Tennessee, we're gonna have 20% of our population 65 and older. So I think as more people um, are in that age group and really are pushing the boundaries more, that it's going to be something that we all have to address and look at and rethink. So I, I, I agree it has been sort of the acceptable uh, ism. And I think that there's been uh, more awareness and we are hoping to bring more awareness to that topic in our conference. We'll take a break right here. We'll be right back. This is MTSU on the record. MTSU's Jewish and Holocaust Studies minor offers undergraduate students a chance to study the culture and religion of the Jewish people and the Holocaust in an interdisciplinary program. Studies include history and culture, theology and philosophy, and the arts and social sciences. Courses tackle vital topics central to local and global awareness, including multiculturalism and the meanings of diversity, religious tolerance, and genocide. For the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Middle East-centered MTSU seeks to promote greater understanding of the politics, history, and culture of this vitally important region of the world. Its mission includes the promotion of outreach programs and faculty research. The center sponsors lectures by Middle East experts and scholarly exchanges. We're especially pleased to offer a new interdisciplinary minor in Middle East studies with courses in Arabic and Hebrew. This is Dr. Alan Hibbard, Center Director. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. Tennessee's farm families contribute to our state's economy, nutrition, and culture. The Tennessee Century Farms Program at MTSU's Center for Historic Preservation acknowledges farms that have been in the same family at least 100 years. To date, the program has certified more than 1,500 farms. There is no cost to nominate a farm or be part of the program. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Our guest is Dr. Deborah Lee, holder of the National Healthcare Corporation Chair of Excellence in Nursing, uh, talking about the inaugural uh, Positive Aging Conference slated for June 10th at Miller Education Center. What about the practice, Debbie, of gerontology? Should we be trying to encourage more people to enter gerontology and more nurses to specialize in treating older people? Or is the, uh, pract- the whole practice of that particular medical specialty going by the wayside because older people are healthier than they've been before? Well, because there are more older adults and will be more older adults, we absolutely need to have more providers in that space, uh, Jenna. And the reality is that those providers can actually help us realize our full potential as we age. So I, uh, we at the School of Nursing have a gerontology and health course that all of our students take uh, because we have found that if you expose nursing students to older adults, they have more positive attitudes after they have that exposure. 
And so the reality is there's just a lot of unknown if you are a younger person and you haven't spent a lot of time with older adults. So really getting them to have the experience of talking with and working with older adults. We also have an aging studies minor at the university. And we also have a postgraduate certificate in gerontology at the university. And both of those are geared towards people, students having careers in the field of gerontology, not necessarily healthcare providers, but lots of different wraparound services to provide to older adults. Uh, there are uh, nursing homes that have gotten a horrible reputation in this country, except for an elite few that only a few people can afford. Uh, does anyone care about cleaning them up or do too many families in our society have a, uh, an attitude of where can we dump grandma so we don't have to deal with her? I think COVID-19 really uh, highlighted the vulnerability of some of our centers, uh, some of the facilities where older adults may be spending their last days of their lives. And I think there has been much more awareness brought to uh, as you said, cleaning up uh, those facilities. And I think part of it is uh, there has been more awareness because of COVID and in that is more, more resources coming. And even the White House has put uh, forward an initiative to look at long-term care and to start addressing it with funding, first of all. Uh, Medicare funding has a lot to do with that. And so addressing how those centers and facilities are funded makes a really big difference. And also, again, just exposing students and others to uh, facilities and what the possibilities are for them and looking at arrangements that can be made to help bring those environments more up to standard. And I really do, um, I don't think most people realize that 60 to 75% of us as we age, we'll need some form of direct care provider, whether that is in a facility or within our homes. I think most of us think, well, we're just going to age at home and I'm not going to need any help. But we all, most of us are going to need some help from some of those providers. So at the university, we have a currently, uh, I have a currently funded study to look at our certified nursing assistant population in long-term care to help identify the needs and capacities of those folks. Because part of it is staffing, which is notoriously difficult in those facilities. So how do we provide what those direct care providers need in a way to keep them engaged and keep them working? Because consistent care for the older adult can make a huge difference in the quality of the care, therefore the quality of their lives. And this brings up to me the subject of uh, elder abuse and elder exploitation. Uh, which unfortunately sometimes is committed by family members who are charged with taking care of, of these people. Uh, where does our society stand in your view in terms of dealing with that situation? I have known some people who just could not wait for the vulnerable older relative in their lives to die so that they could raid that person's personal belongings. It's really heartbreaking and really sad. And where are we in terms of taking that issue seriously? Well, I know in the state of Tennessee, we've got some um, initiatives that are being that are being addressed. So I know our, um, our State Department of Health has a civil monetary penalty fund. 
And some of that funding has gone to identify and address elder abuse, particularly in long-term care facilities uh, where that may be happening. And we also have our Tennessee Commission on Aging and Disability. And they also have um, programs that identify and look at elder abuse. So there are, um, and I believe there's an ombudsman even around elder abuse that's available as well. I'm not incredibly well-versed in that area, but I do know that in Tennessee, we have some resource available to um, help support people who, who are um, being in those vulnerable situations. And, you know, the reality is most, um, most family members are not taking advantage of older adults, but certainly those cases that we hear about are usually uh, horrifying and heartbreaking. And so, yes, it's good that we continue to have focus and awareness on the vulnerability of that population to people who want to take advantage of them. How would you describe the status of aging as a, as a topic of research and study in academia? How, how vital is it? How um, uh, well-funded is it? Uh, to, to what extent is uh, this study thriving in the academic community? Well, it never feels like there's enough money, you know, when you're a person who writes grants and you're looking for opportunities. Um, I would say it never feels like enough. However, uh, there is funding out there for sure. And we have received some of that funding at the university. And we also have partnerships with other universities. Vanderbilt would be one right now where um, researchers at, at MTSU are also partnering with others to address issues around aging and frailty in particular. Um, I would say, you know, I would, I would hope that we see more funding coming because as that population grows, the older adult population grows, we need more science in that area. And a lot of the science is really about how, you know, prevention and health promotion. So how can we age in a way that keeps us safe and healthy? Um, some of that uh, is really around what we need to be doing, such as what's, what are ways that we can measure frailty? What are ways that we can help prevent frailty? What are ways that we can slow down the aging process? So there is a plethora of research that goes on uh, throughout, you know, throughout really the world. And I do think that more funding would be absolutely needed and necessary as we move forward. We'll take another break here. We'll be right back. This is MTSU on the record. The MTSU Department of Art has the newest facility for visual arts in the state with approximately 50,000 square feet of space, including high-tech computers and computer-driven equipment for multimedia, graphic design, printmaking, sculpture, painting, and ceramics. We feature a visiting artist lecture program and an exhibition program that exposes students to work by national and international artists. To find out more, visit mtsunews.com. The Tennessee Employment Relations Research Association, or TERA, gives labor relations specialists and academics a chance to share their views and their data. TERA wants academics and other interested in human resources and industrial relations to work together at meetings and conferences to strengthen the workplace. Many MTSU faculty belong to TERA, which has members in 20 states and 7 nations. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Women in Science and Engineering, or WISE, helps college women prepare for and become involved in science-related careers. WISE nurtures women's interest in these fascinating and critical fields and provides mentoring and networking opportunities. 
The group's main goal is to assure women of their importance in all scientific and technical fields and to promote equal opportunity and treatment of women in science. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte Gross, Wise Advisor. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. We've been talking about the Positive Aging Conference at MTSU. It's scheduled for June 10th at the Miller Education Center. Our guest is Dr. Deborah Lee, who is helping to organize this uh, gathering. And she also happens to be the holder of the National Healthcare Corporation Chair of Excellence in Nursing. Uh, We're turning to a different subject now. I understand that the School of Nursing has a program that offers free health and wellness coaching to undergraduate students uh, through the second semester. Now you have the funds to extend it beyond the second semester. How did that happen? Uh, Well, the the extended funding happened because uh, someone was very impressed with the program that we're offering our undergraduate students to help build stress resilience in them while they are in school. And we, um, another hat that I wear, I'm a national board certified health and wellness coach. And I also um, have taught coaching at Duke. And I also am a mentor in the Vanderbilt Health Coaching Program. So I have access to some wonderful coaches who are willing to volunteer their time to to, uh, provide health and wellness coaching for our nursing students. And it was through that program that we've had now for, I think we're coming on year four in the fall, that uh, we have been collecting uh, feedback from our students and seeing what an incredible difference having someone help them work on their health and well-being goals has made for them and their uh, academic lives. And so the idea is helping them realize that they have skills and coping, they have uh, abilities to take care of themselves. So we're trying to help provide them with a partner to help them identify those things they wanna work on to support their stress resilience through self-care. And we've uh, we've been providing that uh, throughout their second semester in the nursing program. And as a result of the success of that program, uh, we will be starting this summer and into the fall offering students who want to continue coaching to be able to do that. We haven't had the funding to offer it beyond second semester. And let me just say that the, the semester that we offer it for the first time, second semester, all of that coaching is done pro bono by these coaches. So they are not been getting paid. So it was a huge gift to the School of Nursing to be able to get funds to continue to offer those students coaching. We're hearing that the uh, COVID-19 pandemic has taken its toll on all the healthcare professions with the result being a considerable amount of burnout. Uh, What uh, are you doing in the health and wellness courses to uh, coach or with the health and wellness coaching, I should say, to address that? We know that the best way to prevent burnout is through a variety of self-care practices. So the whole idea behind the coaching is for the students to identify what those things are that help them best take care of themselves. I tell our nursing students that you can't pour from an empty cup. So if you're not filling your own cup by taking care of yourself, you're not doing the best job you can taking care of other people. And um, I also teach a communication skills clinical rotation for all the students in second semester. And as part of that clinical rotation, they do a self-identified self-care project for the six weeks that they're with me, where they choose something that they wanna work on 
and they do it for at least an hour every week while they're in their clinical rotation with me. And they do documentation as a result because I have them identify what makes it important you know, to even do this thing I'm doing this week, um, what will be different if I do it and what might get in the way of my doing it. So I'm trying to help them see how they can plan around barriers that might come up. And then at the end of the week of, of that, whatever the goal is they set for the week, they talk about what happened? You know, how did it go? What am I learning about myself in this? So through the self-care project, through the health coaching, we're really putting a lot of resource into our nursing students again, about helping build their self-care practices in order to build their stress resilience in the hopes that they're carrying it through their academic career with us and into their practice as a nurse. If people want more information about either the nursing program, uh, the health and wellness coaching, or the positive aging conference, uh, where do they go? Whom do they contact? Well, I'm happy to talk to anybody about that. Um, there's a couple ways you can reach me. Uh, one is you can email me at Debra, which is D-E-B-O-R-A-H dot Lee, L-E-E, -E, at M-T-S-U dot E-D-U. And you can also go on the uh, M-T-S-U dot E-D-U website and type in Positive Aging Consortium and all kinds of information about the conference will come up as well. Uh, but contacting me directly about the coaching program, I'd be happy to talk with anybody about what we're doing with our nursing students. Great. Deborah Lee, thank you for being our guest on MTSU on the Record. Thank you, Jenna, for the opportunity. It's been fun to talk about these things with you. We'll be right back. The Intercultural and Diversity Affairs Center helps to promote awareness and understanding of the wide variety of cultures represented at MTSU. The center provides information, referrals, and resources. Additionally, IDAC tries to make students from different cultures feel welcome and comfortable on campus so they can have every opportunity to fulfill their academic, social, and personal potential. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The American Democracy Project is a nonprofit initiative which strives for greater voter registration and civic participation among young people at MTSU and at campuses nationwide. Through encouragement from professors and peers, young adults are shown the value of being more active citizens in their community, their state, and their nation. ADP seeks to nurture programs that raise the campus community's level of engagement with society. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Middle Tennessee Writing Project is a program that fosters the effective teaching of writing to students in kindergarten through high school. The project hosts annual summer institutes where teacher participants teach and learn from each other effective techniques of teaching writing. In addition, the project sponsors summer writers camps for youngsters. MTSU is one of 185 sites of the National Writing Project and one of only two in Tennessee. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Jimmy Hart has the middle moment. Yvette Clark just finished up her first semester as MTSU's Acting Vice President for Information Technology and Chief Information Officer. With the university out of a pandemic posture and in a world that seems to function at the speed of tech and data, Clark hopes to continue the university's tech upgrades while also getting a better handle on the type of services that students, faculty, and staff need for the present and future. We deployed so quickly some work from home solutions 
And now we need to go back, step back and determine whether or not we're actually utilizing those to the fullest. And if we're not, how can we impact our, our offices to run their meetings more effectively to manage their, their data or their projects that they're using? So how do we come back and re, re-engage them to get up to speed on how some of these pieces of software could, could help them. And I think we've got to do that for students and our administrative side of the house. That's MTSU on the record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University is produced by the university's marketing and communications office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.